And I've got to share with you that I don't believe I've ever heard that song before. Judy said I had, but I don't know how she remembers because I sure don't. But anyway, good job, Miss Brittany. <laughs> if you will, get your Bibles and turn with you to Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Now, there's something unique about this passage that you may not be aware of, but he lists four different names that, as he put it, carried their cross for Christ. But they're just all, each one's totally different. In fact, one of them, I've got to confess that if you'd have asked me if this name was in the Bible, I'd never heard of it before. But it is. Uh, the name Manan that we're going to look at. I've heard the rest of them, but this name, I had I don't believe I've ever heard that. Now, I guess I probably have over the years, but it sure didn't stand out anyway. But it's got a, each one of them have a tremendous lesson to teach us through this little passage. I'm going to ask you would to stand with me as read chapter 13 of the book of Acts, verses 1 through 3. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this passage you've given us this morning. And Lord, we just ask that you would open our eyes to see this passage that we've just read as well as what each one of these individuals mean to this passage and to the early church. And that, Lord, we can get an example of each for each one of us as we look at these lives of these four men. And, Lord, the church has supported them behind them. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Go with us now. And all these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. The truth that interest is in direct proportion to the investment that you made. We've all heard that thousands of times. Whatever you put into it, you're going to get out of and so forth. That which has cost a man something has its magnetic means of drawing him closer. The young man who has spent months working on his old jalopy to get it running and look, make it look good is more proud of it than if someone had given it to him in his current condition. The young lady that enjoys sewing and making the garment that took her hours and hours to work on, and finally it's completed and it looks the way she wants it to look. She can look back with pride on that. Parenthood is certainly an appropriate example of this truth. A mother naturally loves her child in a special way. Why shouldn't she? She went through the pregnancy, the pains of labor, birth of her child, and the father even, the feelings are no less for him. His child has made greater demands on his time, his means, and his energies. When it comes to meaning something for Jesus, though, sometimes we look at it a little bit differently. Jesus, having him in this marvelous work, means something to you. To, for the principle is epitomized when we think about it. Yes, it's one thing to work on an old car and get it running and get it looking good and so forth. But when you begin to work in God's house and God's work, you look back and say, wow, that was good. 
Not that I was good, but that God was good to use me in this capacity. We have Bible school coming up before too long. It's a good opportunity to learn God's work. I should have heard some amens. There we go. That's one. There we go. <laughs> but there's other things that we do. I don't know if y'all have noticed, but when we pulled in the yard to the church parking lot this morning, first thing Judy says, look at those Easterlies. Aren't they beautiful? And I said, well, yeah, it is. We got two guys that do a lot of work. I don't want to give them too much credit, so I'm just calling two guys. <clears throat> now they do a good job. But have you noticed the big old blooms this morning, just beautiful white blooms? Now, I mean, Sam did the same thing when he was doing it, but it, it, just, it just was nice to pull and see those big, beautiful flowers. But they didn't happen by accident. Somebody had to get out there and trim them and cut them back and whatever you do to flowers. Around our house, we have a hard time growing plastic plants. But anyway, it, but I mean, it takes work, and it takes a lot of effort. And we've got two men now that just spend, I mean, literally hours. There was one day not too long ago, I pulled in about 7.30 in the morning in the office and looked out there, and there was Brother Jim's truck already here. He was out mowing the grass. I thought, I'm going to have to start coming at 7.15 now. And so, but I mean, we, and that's just two. We've got a lot of people to do that. But what I'm saying is when you invest something into the church body, the church itself, you receive more out of it. Because what you put into it is going to come back to you in many ways. No man has ever meant much to the program of Christ unless he has at some times or another what we call bore a cross. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1, we read the names of the men who were prophets and teachers in Antioch, it says. It's a startling fact that each of these men had to pay a price for what we know of them in God's Word. And many times it was a very costly price, as you'll see in a few minutes. There were, of course, hundreds of other disciples I mean, to choose from, but the ones who really cared enough to be crusaders, if you will, and risk the dangers of rough seas, rugged terrain, the dangers of all the things that go into traveling in places unknown at this day and age, because it was not a safe world to live in, in many places. When they invested something in that ministry, they received so much more back. And that's the message for each of us today, is that each one of us can invest in God's Word and receive far above what we thought we'd get out of it. They had invested too much to be just nominal stragglers. They wanted to see results. They were the first missionaries. They were the first ones to go out in this world and begin to tell people about Jesus, which a lot of people this day and age had never heard of. And so they were the first to experience probably some hostile reception sometimes. Let's look at each one of these four and see the cross that they had to bear to be a follower of Jesus. And see the irrefutable truth that crosses make good crusaders. The first one is a man by the name of Menaean. And I'm going to be honest with you. If you had asked me some time ago if Manaean, the name Menaean is in the Bible, I said, well, not to my knowledge it's not. I had never remembered reading this name. But there it is in the passage we just read. It's there. And he was, in fact, let me, let me turn back to that. If you've got your Bible still open, let's look back at that just a moment. I want to show you something that just jumped out at me. 
Let me find where we're going. Let's begin. Let's just read the whole thing again. Now, in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen. Now, watch what it says after Manaen's name, name, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Now, why did they throw that little tidbit of information in there? But here was a man that was now in the Bible, had literally carried his cross, and it says that about him. But he was the family of Herod, the king. Let me, we'll see in just a moment what that's really saying to us. <clears throat> Here is a man that had been relegated to basically obscurity. I mean, I'll be, I did not know that name in the Bible. I don't remember, didn't remember ever reading it before. I'm sure I have because we've looked at Acts before, but it just didn't say anything to me. This man of which the Bible has very little to say, here we find him. Not many Christians even know of this man. Now, be honest. Did you know the name Manan was in the Bible? Raise your hand. One. Two. All right. <laughs> we got a crowd now. <laughs> I, that's, that was me. If you would have asked me some time ago, was that name in the Bible? I would have told you, well, to my knowledge, it's not. I've never read it. But yes, I have. But I didn't catch that one little part that's in there about it. This man of whom not very many Christians can say they had ever heard of this man, of whom not many Sunday school ser Sunday sermons were ever written about him probably, of all of a sudden becomes one of the most prominent men in the early church. But he didn't say anything else about him other than that one statement. He was taken from a place of obscurity and became one of the central most figures of the early church. That's how important this man was. But watch, he's got much more to be looked at. Why? Because he, along with Paul and Barnabas, was one of the five men who volunteered out of perhaps hundreds of others to be involved in the first initial missionary work of the church. Manan gave up security to be a missionary for Jesus. Now watch what I'm talking about. What we know about this man is limited but very interesting. It was the custom in the biblical days that when a young prince was born, and his name was Herod, to pick out after he got up to be three or four years old and he old enough to get around and talk and so forth, to pick out a playmate from the peasants and the common people. The king's young son could pick anybody he wanted to. Guess who he picked? A young boy about his own age by the name of Manan. He grew up in the king's King Herod, mind you, which was not a very nice king, he grew up in King Herod's house, castle, whatever he had, place anyway. He grew up in this environment. When King Herod was born, it so happened that Manan was the one that had been chosen to grow up with his son, to be a lifelong friend. I mean, this was almost like a, a marriage, if you will, and I hesitate using that term in today's terms, but these two young men grew up together. They were brothers in ever since the word. I mean, they grew up together. They did everything together. They grew up that way. 
Manan had come to live with the Prince Herod, and they grew up as young boys, as teenagers, and finally into as grown men. As close as they were, as loving as they were, as binding as their friendship was, young Prince Herod and the little peasant boy, Manan, grew up together becoming as brothers in the palace of his father, Herod. Can you imagine what both of them saw Manan might have witnessed that he grew up in this environment? He heard all the words that were spoken about this man called Jesus. He might have even been a witness to the mockery of a trial that went on where Jesus was sentenced to die on the cross. Now, Manan, now a grown man, and his dear friend Herod, grown and inherited the kingdom. He was now king. He must have disagreed with his adopted brother on how things are going. The cross that Manan had to bear was this. He had to choose over the royal entanglements. I don't know if you all watched the wedding yesterday. I didn't. but <laughs> It was on at my house, so I had to see some of it. Now, imagine that as being the environment that this young boys, both of them, grew up in. And that's what you're looking at. I mean, it was a royal, it wasn't a wedding in this case, but a royal environment. He had the best of everything. He had the best toys you could buy. He had the best sports cars when he got of age. I mean, he had everything. This young man named Manan. But yet, he's so obscure to most of us. The cross that Manan had to bear was this. He had to choose over the royal entanglements, the royal luxuries that he lived in, and friendships for the cause of Christ. He made his decision and became one of the first missionary supporters the church had ever had. Ever had. How he came to know Christ, we're not for sure. It, we're not told. But we do know that he had to bear a cross to do what he did. No man ever amounts to anything for Jesus unless he's given up something for Jesus. And I said no man, that means a woman too. So it doesn't matter what who you are. If you're really what you ought to be for Christ, you've had to give up something. It may not be your best friend. It may not be your wealth. It may not be different things. But you had to bear a cross of some kind. This man looked at all the advantages of royalty. Manan did. He looked at his dear friend, his adopted brother, Herod, and must have thought to himself, what am I going to do? I love this young man. We're, we're brothers in every sense of the word other than blood. I've lived with him all of my life. I've grew up with him. We've done things together. We got in trouble together. We've done everything. And now he was making a decision to sever the ties. What am I going to do? But I want you to notice that he chose Christ over his best friend. He chose the path of the Lord. Now, we find him answering the call of who will go by the early church. We just read it a few minutes ago. And we know, know this, that Manan answered with a profound, I will follow Jesus. There are some people like that in the world today. They need to bear the cross that Manan bore. There are some in our world who have not yet seen the importance of the right company to keep in life. And 
that decision sometimes hurts us. I remember after we got married that Judy was telling me one time that this is before we were even engaged. Didn't knew you, but I didn't know anything about her. Sure didn't think I was ever going to marry her. But anyway, <laughs> but she got lucky. But it, <laughs> anyway, she was telling me about one time when her and one of her friends visited a church in Fort Worth, a very prominent church, a large church. And this is back in the... 30s, I mean, the 60s, 70s, 70s, whatever it was. And it, uh, and so she was saying that her and her friend visited this church, and they went to a Sunday school. I mean, this is probably one of the biggest churches at the time in Fort Worth. And they visited this Sunday school class, and the Sunday school teacher made the comment, well, it's all right if you go to a party and just carry a drink and don't drink it. That's what the world will tell you. No, it's not. Because who you stand for makes a big difference. Who you take a stand for makes a big difference. People see you. And when they see you doing something that is against God, it hurts. It hurts Him. We're to stand up for Christ in every situation. There are some people like that today. They need to bear the cross that Manan bore. There are some in our world who have not yet seen the importance of the right company to keep. The decision is between what you would like and what you know you must do as a Christian. Some people won't bear that cross. They refuse to. There are some who say, my boss told me that unless I go to that office party, unless I tell those filthy jokes, unless I hold that cocktail glass, I won't get that promotion. And they've got a choice to make. Fall in with the crowd. Or be what Jesus wants you to be. So what happens? They stay there in that group against what Christ stands for. And they never amount to anything for the Lord. Because they will not bear that cross of standing and making a difference. Manan was willing to bear that cross of friendship. And don't you know that decision ate him up for a long time before that? I feel like he probably had made that decision in his mind sometime before he actually told Herod. Can you imagine that Herod said to him one day, he said, Manan, come into my chambers. I want to talk to you. Is it true that you're going to follow that nasty Nazarene? Could that be true? I've heard that. Is it really true? Manan, the boy that I picked out when I was just a boy myself to belong to me and be my lifelong friend. You're going to betray me as my playmate. How could you turn your back on me at this point now? I fed you. I clothed you. I gave you the best life you could possibly have. Because remember, he would have been a peasant boy. I fed you. I clothed you. I gave you every privilege there is. And you're going to follow that filthy carpenter? How could you do this to me? And I can hear old Manan as he answered back soundly after all these, sounding all through the palace when he replied, yes, I've got to follow Jesus. That's what I'm going to do. Some of this moment are faced with that very decision perhaps. You're faced with whether it ought to be others or Christ in your life. Some have not yet had the courage to say, yes, it ought to be Christ in my life above everything else. 
You're not willing to sever the relations perhaps yet with some of those people that places and things that you do that you know God's not pleased with. It's against what he teaches. This was the cross that Manan had to bear. But then we come to a name that we all know. His name's Barnabas. What was his cross that he had to carry? The cross of financial liberality. Ooh, that sounds good. I like that one. Hang on. Don't go too fast. Here is a man of whom we've heard a lot about. In fact, verse 1 says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch, Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas. What cross did he have to bear? I mean, he was a leader of the church. When he became a Christian, he confessed that he didn't have the talents. He couldn't preach. He wasn't eloquent. He didn't know what he could do. He was so, what can I do? And then something happened in a church. It had to be a Baptist church because this happens quite often. They had a financial crisis. Sounds like Baptist, don't it? They had a financial crisis in the church. Barnabas stepped up and sold everything he had and gave it to the work of the early church. How would you like to bear, bear that cross? Not too many volunteers probably want to go that way. It's a dramatic story of how Barnabas, who wasn't doing much for Christ, he was a Christian at the time, and he was in the church, but he just wasn't doing anything. I know we don't have people like that around here. Everybody around here works and does their part, so that's, that's a different thing. But all of a sudden, he became prominent in the kingdom. He gave up his wealth, and he bore a cross of financial sacrifice in order to be on the front line for Jesus. Now, don't raise your hands because I really don't want to know, but how many would be willing to bear that cross? I don't know. I'm not even sure if I would. I like to think I would, but I don't know. That's a big cross to bear right there. He, along with Manan, became a powerful missionary force of the church. I've never known of a man or a woman who was faithful, dedicated, loving, dedicated to the work of the church who would not bear a cross of giving. Maybe not like Barnabas did, but wouldn't bear the cross of giving. During the invitation, we sing songs like, I surrender all. Have thine own way, Lord, with my life. But do we really sing those songs believing them? I don't know. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus doesn't cut any corners. Jesus teaches us all through the Bible to give back to God a portion of what He has given to us. You wouldn't want to ride on a boat with somebody. Let's just say that I know that we got fishermen in here. One morning they called me and said, hey, let's, I'm going to take you out the boat. We're going to go fishing. Now, I'm not a fisherman, so they probably wouldn't do that in the first place. Usually what I do is throw rocks in the water, and they don't like that as fishermen. But anyway, we went out in the boat, was floating along, and I was back there paddling my paddle, and three or four of the guys, probably Jerome and Rocky like that, they, they, I looked up, and they weren't paddling at all. I said, wait a minute, why am I doing all the paddling? Is that what y'all brought me for? Of course, they said, yeah, we did. But now think about it. Isn't that the way the church is a lot of times? Well, let others give it. 
We'll let others support that cause. I'll just enjoy the church and the things that go on. I don't want to do anything to help it alone. I'll just receive. I, I, I just don't want to give this time. And most of the time, these are the first ones in the church to criticize and gripe about things. You know why? Because just like we started off, when you invest in the church or the work of God, let me put it that way, the work of God becomes important to you. When you don't invest anything, it's not important. It doesn't bother you. As church, we have a goal to reach. It, I don't know if we'll ever fill this building up, but we still have a goal to reach. We've got a deal coming up in July. You've probably heard us talk about we call it Mission COVID, and we changed the name of it. What's the name now, Miss Judy? Summer Fun Fest. And what we're going to do, we're going to meet on this yard, and we're going to try to bring kids and adults and just have a good time for three days, uh, 24th, 25th, and 26th of uh, July, right in the heat of the summer. Isn't that perfect? <laughs> hey, we'll have cool places. But just to have a time where we can get to meet these people, get to know them, and hopefully... Invite them and encourage them to come to church. Encourage them to come to church. That's the purpose of it. Guess what we need? We don't need your money. Well, we could always use it, but we don't need it. What we need is your you to help out in some way. There will be games. There will be kids. There's going to be a bunch of them. We're going to do a lot of advertising. You're going to be hearing a lot about it in the papers even, on the radio even, if we can get that worked out. And that's coming up before too long. And all it is to reach our area. You say, well, there's our area's right around here. No, it's not. We live in Coppers Cove. Our area is Coppers Cove. We live in Coryell County. Our area is Coryell County. It doesn't matter where we are. But we're going to try to reach families and individuals and kids, yes, for the cause of Christ that, those three days. You'll be hearing much more about it. Now, I've lost my place. don't even know where I'm at. So I just. <laughs> when you invest, you'll feel like you belong. You'll have a better relationship with its, the church's workers. Love God's kingdom more because where you invest is that is where you will inevitably find your highest interest. It'll be there. You know, I know sometimes we cut up, and sometimes I cut up too much. I'll be the first to tell you. But I enjoy being around God's people. I mean, if you can't come to church and enjoy each other, stay home. I mean, what's the, what are you going for? We ought to have a time that we can enjoy each other. And, yes, I understand I cut up a whole lot. I've done it all my life. My wife's fussed at me for how long? We, 60, 45 years. Excuse me, 45 years I've been married. And it just, I mean, she's fussed at me for years. Y'all are not the first ones, I promise you. But when we come together with God's people, it ought to be for two reasons. To lift up Christ first and foremost and to love each other. That's why we're here. That's what we need to reach out and do. And, yes, I'll try to curtail it sometimes. If certain ones will quit picking on me during the service, but we won't mention Rocky's name. The third one we see is a man named Saul. What was his cross? Now, Saul we know very well. He had the cross of personal forgetfulness. Now, I could almost use that title on myself because I have forgetfulness real bad nowadays. 
We all know about this man named Saul. He was converted on the road to Damascus. This man of unusual greatness in mind and in character, although initially he was a murderer of Christians and an enemy of the church. He said yes to Christ and took the ridicule of the world upon himself. But here he is, Paul, a crusader of the first missionary, one of the first missionaries of the church, and he had to bear the cross to be one. So what did he have to bear? He had to give up most of the security of his Roman citizenship. Now, that doesn't mean much to us, but go back and read in Bible days. That was a very important thing. You had privileges if you were a Roman citizen that nobody else had. I mean, the rest of them were like peasants, and you had the chance to achieve things. You were given the best. You were given the jobs by the Roman government and these kind of things. He had to relinquish all of the wonderful opportunities that came his way as an important man in the religious government. So not only just in the government itself, but in the religious end, he was one of the top-ranking head guys. But he gave it up, willing to do so because he knew that unless he was willing to bear a cross for Christ, he would never mean anything for Christ. In the days ahead, he knew he had to make some changes. He chose to bear the cross of giving up that which was to his advantage. Some of us won't bear that cross. Paul said, I'm going to give up the status that I have, the wealth that I have, because I'm a follower of Jesus now. Would you like to bear that cross? And I heard this as a true story, so I'm going to repeat it that way. I cannot confirm it. I do not know it, but uh, it was told to me as a true story. I heard of a church that called a pastor. They received a call later, later on, a few days later, to tell them that he had decided not to come. The chairman of the committee called him and says, Oh, I'm sorry. We, we thought that you told us that you felt this was God's will for you to come to our church. We were looking so forward to it so much. We're so excited about y'all coming and being our new pastor. And here's what the preacher said. Well, it is the Lord's will, and I really feel like we would have a great ministry together. But we checked into moving my wife's antique furniture, and it would just cost too much to move. And she's afraid it would get scarred up. You just can't replace stuff like that anymore. Now, I cannot confirm if that's a true story. It was told that way, so I'll repeat it, but I don't know. So the man supposedly called of God, turned down the place that he himself said God wanted him to go to because his wife was afraid of moving the antique furniture. Now, I do not know this man, wouldn't know who he was if I heard the name, but I want to tell you something. He wasn't a crusader for Christ. He wasn't really on fire. He didn't really mean that much to God's work. He was floating along with the crowd, unwilling to bear a cross. He was unlike Paul, who was willing to turn his back on earthly possessions and say, I'll pick up my cross and go wherever Jesus leads me. Have you failed to really be involved in Christ with Christ and his work? Is there some comfort, some habit, some ease that you're afraid to give up? 
unless you're willing to bear a cross, you will never be all that God wants you to be. I don't care who you are. I don't care what position you're in. Unless you're willing to forsake everything, you'll never be what God wants you to be. I've got a good friend. I believe I've told this story before, but I'm going to repeat it again. Named Doug Lacey. In fact, we got to see him just a couple weeks ago. He's now running a crew on those Builders for Christ and or the different ones that move around. We went down to uh, Burnett and met him, had dinner with him, and so forth. And But I remember some years ago when I left my first church, which is just a small country church, and we were moving to Paris, Texas. We had a sort of barbecue invite us over and so forth. We was fixing to leave the next weekend or whatever the details were. I don't remember exactly, but. I remember me and him sitting out on the back porch. Now, Doug's been in church. He was one of the men that helped lead me to Christ, him and two other guys, and just love them to death. But we're sitting back there one day, and he says, I want to tell you something. He said, when you go over there, and we had success at South May when we was up there. He said, when you go over to Novice, the name of this church, he said, I want you to make it committed to it. And I said, well, baby, I plan to do that. I said, what are you talking about, though? He said, well, years ago, God called me to preach. There's no doubt in my mind. And he said, I had a business at the time, and I turned it down. And he says, I know that God's never used me the way he could have because I made that decision. Folks, our decision with God affects the rest of our lives. I don't care what it is. If God's calling you to be a Sunday school teacher, if God's calling you to work in VBS, if God's calling you to help in some area around it, it might be in the kitchen. You better do it because you won't have the joy that you would have. That incident's been 30 years at least. Probably, no, it's more than 30. It was before that. But, and to this day, he remembers that. And he tells me pretty much every time I say him. Now, this past time, we didn't have a chance for him to, but... Ever since then, he's told me, he says, I made a mistake. I didn't do what I knew God was wanting me to do. Now, he went on and made good money. I mean, he was a successful businessman and things like that, and just tremendous. But he still didn't have the joy of knowing he'd done what God wanted him to do. Don't do that. And then we come upon a man, his name's Niger. He had the cross of Calvary. Here is a man by the name of Niger, or Simon, he's also called. Do you know who he was? Some scholars feel like that this is Simon of Cyrene, the man who was standing in the crowd the day that Jesus came walking down the street carrying the cross to be crucified. You remember him when the possession got close with Jesus carrying that cross? He came by, the soldier saw this man from Cyrene and jerked him out of the crowd and said, You take this man's cross, he's too weak to carry it. Simon may have bitterly detested it. I don't want to carry this man's cross. He deserves what he's getting. I don't know what was said. But the Roman soldiers made him carry that cross. But he put his back on that cross and carried it to the rest, rest of the way to Calvary. You know what happened from there? But now move forward just a little bit because now here he is, a volunteer for the work of the Lord, eagerly ready to bear a cross now. Isn't that an intriguing story? This man became a crusader. This man became a missionary. He became a sacrifice on the altar of service, 
only a short time earlier, he had been jerked out of the crowd and made to carry a cross, and now we find him carrying it obediently, willingly. What changed? What happened? When volunteers were requested to be the first missionaries, this man may have remembered looking at the face of Jesus on Calvary and responded with an eager, I'll go tell others what he did on the cross because I saw it firsthand. The man who helped carry the cross up Calvary now volunteered to pick up the cross and carry it alone if necessary. How long has it been since you've been to Calvary and looked at the cross? Niger of Cyrene was on the front line for Christ because he may have watched those nails being driven in the hands of Jesus. Perhaps he watched as that crown of thorns was pushed down into his brow and cut the skin and pierced his skin. Maybe he heard him cry those famous words, It is finished. This man saw the way the crowd and the Roman soldiers cursed and treated Jesus. And he also saw the response that Jesus had. When Jesus, looking down, a bloody pulp, messed up. I mean, didn't even look human almost. He opened his mouth and said those words. Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. I don't know if that happened. But he was there. We know that. And maybe that changed inside of him. Let me ask you a question. How long has it been since you've looked back at Calvary, really, to see what happened that day? Can you hear those words that Jesus spoke? Father, I forgive them. I forgive them. Look what they're doing. I forgive them, Lord. Until we bear the cross of Calvary, we won't mean much to the Lord. God doesn't call undercover Christians. I know we think we've got a lot of them, but God doesn't call undercover Christians. He wants people that will stand up and take the cross of following Him. And sometimes that's not an easy course. The church has, had, has too many Sunday morning Christians. This man had seen the sweat and the blood dripping from Christ's body, and he had to say, yes, I will go and carry the message. The reason some of our churches are so dried up and dead and worthless to the kingdom of God is because some people know about everything in the world except Calvary. Folks, if we ever take Calvary out of this church, let's close the doors because we're worthless. If we ever forget what happened at Calvary, we're not a church any longer. If you go to the cross, you will come back different, I promise you. If you ever really grasp what Christ did at Calvary, you cannot be a mediocre Christian for Christ and His church. You can't do it. When you really look at what happened at Calvary and see what took place and the price that Jesus paid for each one of us, that we wouldn't have to go through it, you cannot come back different. It doesn't work. Let me tell you about a man named Ronald Meredith, if you've never heard of him. Anybody remember the name Ronald Meredith? Ronald Meredith was the actor that years ago played Christ in the play, The Passion. After he carried the cross across the stage one time as a, a teenage boy came up onto the stage, knelt down on the floor of the stage and put his shoulder on that cross and was surprised to find that he couldn't lift it up. The boy said, 
I thought this would be made out of cardboard or balsa wood. I, I thought it wouldn't be heavy and I could carry it. Why in the world would you have such a heavy cross in just a play? Here's what Ronald Meredith responded. He looked at that young man and he said, I discovered that I cannot look like Christ unless I bear a cross like Christ. How much do you look like Christ today? Sometimes I don't look too much like Him. Some days I don't look like Christ, even though I know I'm a Christian. Either I know I'm saved, but sometimes maybe my attitude gets out of adjustment. My temper flares. All the other things that we all do to some degree. If you're unwilling to bear a cross, those who pay the price to be followers of Christ usually make the greatest contribution to the kingdom work. In other words, crosses make good crusaders. Let's stand together this morning. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. Lord, we come to the end of this service. We thank you again for the cooler weather outside and the rain that we've needed so bad. And, Lord, it just seems like every time we really need something to happen, you just cause it to happen. And we thank you for that. But, Lord, I just, I've got a burden for our church like I've never had before. And, Lord, I know we've got this thing coming up, and I, Lord, I know we've got VBS just around the corner. And Lord, I'm just asking you to give us a harvest that we cannot even imagine, not because of what we do, but because we're trying to do it your way. And, Lord, as we prepare for this summer, it's going to be a busy summer, a hard summer, a hot summer. But, Lord, give us the strength to do extra what we need to do. In other words, carry our cross to the community of Copper's Cove whether they live next door across the street or five miles down the road, give us ways to reach men and women, boys and girls. Lord, I don't believe you want us to stay this size of a church. I believe you want to fill this place. And my heart's prayer is that you would just open the doors and guide us and let, let it not be our ways, but, Lord, it be your ways. Lord, make us into what you want us to be. And that begins with bearing a cross for Christ. Go with us now in this verse of invitation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.